Chelsea Fairless. And how are you guys doing? Do you have raging anxiety this past week due to the new moon? Are you talking to the listeners? Yeah. You know they can't talk back to us, right? I mean, the comment section or the reviews would say otherwise. You know what? I wish you could reply on podcast reviews and there could be more of a comment section culture, you know? An episode should automatically generate a comments thread. My only thing about the the reviews on Apple Podcasts is I wish you could be able to click on the handle of the person who's left the review just so you can get a sense of their taste level. I don't mind bad reviews necessarily if we could click on it and be like, oh, okay, this person has also gone on the daily podcast and like shit on Michael Barbaro's voice or something. Yeah. You also want that because you go on like Amazon and look at the bad reviews for a book and at least you can click in and see like, oh, they bought this shitty book. For our book, We Should All Be Miranda's, available (laughs) where books are sold. If you go on Amazon, the number one review is a shitty review of our book. And when you click on that user... It's no longer there, but it used to be for a long time. It was like Amazon interest, Ben Shapiro. And it was like, that's all you need to know. Yeah. Why do we always believe our worst reviews, Lauren? (laughs) Are you bringing in a a Carrie Bradshaw voiceover? Yeah. What was the bad review? Oh, it was the face. Because I was like, didn't Mishiko Kakutani give her a good review? That that confused me for a second. She did. But I think there's some line about like a lot of boyfriends. Right. And Carrie's like, what's that about? And it's like, that's your whole legacy. That's your brand, honey. The quarantine award season has mercifully come to an end. I think we've experienced the highs, which I guess would be the Grammys. Yeah. We've experienced the lows, which were obviously the Golden Globes, and now the Oscars, which were the pre-recorded SAG Awards that we didn't even bother watching. I guess there was that. And then I suppose the Oscars are just meh. Yeah. The Oscars, which they switched the venue to Union Station. So as we were watching it, we said it was a bunch of Who's at a train station boarding the Who Express. I mean, that's basically what it was. First and foremost, it looked like shit. It's set in this Art Deco train station, but nothing made sense. Then they add in all of these monitors that have modernist graphics that look like wallpaper from Paper Source. And then they have flowers that look like they're for someone's wedding. And then the backdrop is some weird like draped fabric with tassels and shit that looks cheap as fuck. It's confusing. So one of the producers was Steven Soderbergh, which he wanted, the whole theme was for it to feel like a film, which kind of explains that tracking shot in the beginning of Regina King walking to the stage. But that was the only part of it that felt like a film. This is what I can't get over with the idea of like, it's got to feel like a film, which is they got rid of all the clips and instead just had the people presenting describing what people did which is so bizarre to me because one of the main tenets of filmmaking is show, don't tell. Right. And we're just telling what everyone does. Yeah, and especially for things like cinematography, costume design, or like best animated short. No one's ever seen any of them, but you get to see a little clip of them at the Oscars and you're like, oh, that looks cute. I'm happy they won. You have no context for anyone that's winning if you haven't seen all of these films and no one has seen these films. Every year the Academy tries to change stuff to stay relevant, but they change the stuff we don't like, like category order or the in memoriam. And it doesn't- Yeah, like who had a problem with the category order 
Yeah. Here's anyone. Here's the thing. We like it to begin with best supporting actor. We like to end the night with best picture. Stop it. We make this point about fashion. Like sometimes it's not about innovating. It's just making it good. Yeah. That's innovation enough. I'm also really sick of this mentality that award shows shouldn't have hosts and that they don't need hosts because hosts serve an actual function. They provide structure. They break the tension when something awkward happens, which pretty much happens at every single award show constantly. It's not having a host is a bad thing. It's that they keep getting the wrong hosts. They keep getting like Neil Patrick Harris or like Jimmy Kimmel. I mean, the Jimmy Kimmel thing, you can't... It makes sense. It's hosted by ABC. He hosts their their late night show. Okay, I actually I understand this, but I'm just saying it, it should be Billy Eichner. It absolutely should be Billy Eichner. Although I try to imagine any host who could come on stage after the guy that won for what was it, Big Round, the Danish director who talked about his daughter oh, Thomas Vinterberg. Yeah, that was upsetting. I mean, the whole that was another part of it. It was really depressing. The reason why they cut the clips, the producers decided is they wanted to have a tighter show and they wanted the speeches to go longer, which again is like, no one wants that. Actually, yeah. here's what we want. We want clips and we want short speeches. Totally. I love the year where they were, I think Jimmy Kimmel hosted, where they were like, whoever has the shortest speech wins this jet ski. Oh yeah, I love that. Do you know what I want after this shitty year? Is just bits and delightfulness and wonderful clothing. You also want a host that's kind of edgy because half of the appeal is talking shit about the celebrities to their face, right? So it's like you can't have someone too nice. That's why Ellen DeGeneres didn't really work. Although, wait, actually, no, I'm no, wrong. That did. She was fucking mean as fuck. Remember what she said about Liza Minnelli? And I have to say, one of the most amazing Liza Minnelli impersonators I have ever seen in my entire life. Just uh, good job, sir. So rude. Anyway, these uh, new changes did not garner great ratings. It was down 50% from last year with just 10 million people tuning in. For comparison, in 2014, the telecast brought in 48.7 million viewers. It's so crazy. I mean, it's not. Like, it was really boring to watch. Obviously, the producers took a huge gamble by restructuring the category order and putting Best Picture third to last and then having the actor categories be the last two awards of the night with best actor being the last award because they thought that Chadwick Boseman was going to win as he had with pretty much every award leading up to the Oscars. Yeah, it did feel a bit anticlimactic. Also, my God, the in memoriam. I said it as soon as I realized I said they're they're timing it to the music. That's why it was sped up. I think we need to breathe new life in the show by having some fun new categories like best ensemble. Best casting, it's so fucked yeah, up there's casting. not a casting Yeah, Academy casting Award. is insane. We need a bit of a retroactive category. We need a retroactive Best Picture winner where they honor a movie that either was never nominated or didn't win. And then they need an Oscar for uh, someone's career. They can call it the Glenn Close and they can give it to people for their body of work at the height of their popularity. And do you think that the first Glenn Close will actually be given to Annette Bening just to like keep <laughs> that cycle going? She's never gotten one. No. She needs to get one. For example, Julianne Moore should have gotten the Glenn Close Award instead of winning for Still Alice because this could also prevent people from winning for the wrong movies. Yeah, the Oscars does have a history of giving awards to roles that didn't necessarily deserve them. Like, I think Russell Crowe won for Beautiful Mind when he should have won the year before for Gladiator, two years before for The Insider. 
all terrible movies in my estimation. Can we just go back to the, the new location for one second? Sure. I was fine with the venue change until they showed Brian Cranston at the Dolby, which is where they usually have the awards, presenting the Gene Herschel Humanitarian Award to the Motion Picture and Television Fund. And then I was like, okay, you know what? That is usually its own telecast. Like, you know how the uh, the Emmys have the technical Emmys called right. the Shem Emmys? This is sort of like the Schmoskers is the Gene Herschel Humanitarian Award where it's usually its own ceremony. I said, you know what? They couldn't fit everyone into Union Station. That's fine. But then, no, Tyler Perry wa- also won a Gene Herschel Award that night, and he was in Union <laughs> Station. Yeah, so what the so- fuck? Okay, well, another problem with this particular venue is that you could tell that it was this was filmed during the day. You know, obviously... Living in Los Angeles, we know that the Oscars are at 5 o'clock and it's still bright and sunny and whatever, but I think it's jarring. You want to pretend that this is at night, especially if you're, like, watching on the East Coast. Also, the fact that, like, they were all sitting at tables, but no one was allowed to drink. Especially because we're at home drinking. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I will say one thing that I did like from the show is that they had Bon Ho presenting Best Director, which I Mm -hmm. have always wished they extended that tradition, which they usually do for the actor categories. I've always wondered why they don't do that for directors and screenwriters. They can present. They can talk. Wasn't that so jarring, seeing Brad Pitt and realizing that the last Oscars was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? And Uh, Yeah, I felt that way when I saw Joaquin Phoenix. I was like, oh, Oh, Joker was just (laughs) like, Like, what did you... (laughs) Anyway, should we get into some fashion moments? Yeah, let's do it. So who, who who was your best dressed? I know we're both going to say Lakeith Stanfield. Obviously. Fucking hot in a Sailor on jumpsuit. Yeah, it was very 70s. It had an exaggerated collar. It was so chic. I felt like this year was such a moment for stylists to bring that Sharon Stone wearing a gap white button down to the Oscars energy. You would think. But not so much. So my best dress are people that kind of evoke that. So like Chloe Zhao, who was wearing white Hermes sneakers with a white knit dress, which is, mm-hmm. let's normalize more comfortable shoes at the Oscars. What, like Questlove's Crocs? That looks spray painted gold. <laughs> well, he's like, I'm going to be standing for four hours. Fuck this. I think in a in a traditional Hollywood way, I would say Angela Bassett in Alberta Ferretti. No, I agree. She looked great. It was that old Hollywood traditional Oscars vibe, which usually I'm repelled by just because everyone does it and it starts to feel very draggy, but she looked really good. Also, she her hair was like sleek and modern. She resisted the urge to get some sort of a Veronica Lake hairstyle. Or, or like a bouffant updo or something. Yeah, exactly. That's what always unravels things. Yeah, I think who brought... Uh, the most, I would say, Sharon Stone at the 1998 Oscars vibe would be Riz Ahmed, who was in a Prada suit, but it, he didn't have a tie or anything. It was like a mock net sweater, but then a cummerbund. Yeah. Real high-low. But I like that it was, it was, the vibe was relaxed. Do we want to get into what people thought were good that we did not? Well, no, I want to get into my picks. Oh, I'm Lauren. so sorry. God. I loved Marley Matlin, who wore Vivian Westwood, this gorgeous like black and silver lace gown. It looked very gothic romance novel. I thought she looked great. And I loved the little kid from Minari. Oh, and, and Tom Brown. And Tom Brown. That was cute. You know, Tom Brown is a designer that obviously draws a lot of inspiration from children's wear. So it was fun to see him dress an actual child. And I also like Laura Dern. Oh, yeah. Laura Dern in Fall Winter 2020. 
yeah, uh, yeah. Oscar de la Renta. <laughs> yeah, it was a little it was a little old, but that was another, that was a beautiful dress, but I feel like the hair did unravel it a bit. All right, so now we can get into what other people thought were good that we did not. Yeah, because that's more the, the thing, right? It's like what's overhyped. Because no one looks that bad at these things. Everyone has stylists. It's more like you look boring than like you look terrible. And usually the people that everyone thinks look bad look amazing, like Bjork. So should we start with Zendaya and Valentino? Sure. Look, Zendaya is gorgeous. She's tall. She's got the proportions of Cher in 1973. Everything and anything is going to look good on her. But I'm sorry, that dress did not look like haute couture. It looked like... No. It looked like... It looked off the rack. It looked like something Misha Barton's character in the OC would have worn to prom. Yeah, well, I feel like I've seen approximations of this dress from a lot of different designers for quite some time now. So I was kind of surprised that it was Valentino. I mean, Carrie Mulligan got the got the good Valentino gown. Oh yeah, we didn't even mention Carrie Mulligan. She Car- looked really she looked quite good, I think. That's another trope of the Oscars, right? The person who's nominated that wears a dress that looks like an Oscar. Mm-hmm almost expecting to win an Oscar. Like I think of Sandra Bullock's dress when she won for The Blind Side. Or Glenn Close when she lost. (laughs) For The Wife. (laughs) I was really sad that Glenn Close didn't show up as her character from Hillbilly LG. (laughs) She loves that. People forget, but she came to the premiere of 101 Dalmatians dressed as Cruella DeVille. Uh, Yeah, but people now just, as you say, just dress in like 1950s glamour drag, like Amanda Seyfried in Armani Privé. Just in aside if we can speak about like ease fashion coverage because when Amanda Seyfried was on the red carpet at one point Brad Koreski said we all know Amanda Seyfried is known for her glamorous style and Chell and I were like do we like is she <laughs> like girl what are you talking about Amanda Seyfried from my memory always looks good but like in my mind her fashion legacy to me is that she had a dress so similar to Anne Hathaway's the year that Anne Hathaway was nominated for Les Mis, that Anne Hathaway switched dresses two nights before the Oscars, which is why she had that like pointy boob Prada dress when she won. I mean, honestly, Brad Goreski's worldview is so strange. Every time I listen to him talk about fashion, I'm like, wow, someone really thinks that, you know? (laughs) (laughs) This was the other point Chelsea and I were making is, we understand E's need to have like synergistic, the hosts from Daily Pop and Nightly Pop are, are in that like weird. Every pop. Every pop. Afternoon pop. <laughs> mid-morning pop. Liner pop. <laughs> brunch pop. Um, that they need to be in that like weird cubicle that's 20 miles away from the actual red carpet. But we're so surprised that they haven't adopted the format that political shows do, which is like point counterpoints. You had like Brad Goreski being like, Amanda Seyfried looks great, doesn't she? And we're just on the other side. Like, does she? Or they always say people are fashion icons that aren't fashion icons. They're like Regina King. She's not a fashion icon. I'm sorry. She's like a famous actress. There's a difference. Yeah, she's a famous actress who dresses well on the red carpet. Oh, also, I wanted to talk about Margot Robbie. Margot Robbie's <laughs> Chanel reign of terror on well, the we red sh- carpet. We, and we should elaborate. Here's the other thing we don't like about e-red carpet and kind of fashion commentary is it's always zeroing in on the actress. We'll say that Kate Young, who is her stylist, we should say Kate Young's reign of terror with Chanel on Margot Robbie. Well, when you're a Chanel brand ambassador, you kind of have to wear Chanel to these things. And Margot Robbie looked incredible in Chanel. She always looks, looks incredible in Chanel, but... 
every single dress she wears to every single major red carpet event, it's it, it has exactly the same vibe. The cut may not be identical or there may be slight differences in, in color or fabric or whatever, but the overall effect is always exactly the same every single time. Like I'd like to see her wear just something else. What would she look like in Prada or something? At this point, I would take Anthony Vaccarello Sailorant just to see something different on her. No one went really sexy at the Oscars except for um, Andrew Day, who was oh wearing Vera, Vera Wang, Wang, but it looked like Alexander Wang. It was so strange. So Viola Davis and Amanda Seyfried have the same stylist, Elizabeth Stewart. And you have this great point about like every actress actually looks the worst at the Oscars. Like, yeah, their, their SAG Award look is pretty much always better. And it's true. I went back and looked at Viola Davis wore this lime Louis Vuitton, col- Vuitton column dress <laughs> to the virtual SAG Awards and looked incredible. Yeah, she looked whatever. I mean, it was just boring. Uh, laser cut is always dicey proposition. Well, laser cut looks really dated at this point. If your stylist is putting you in laser cut or like a naked dress or anything like that, it's no, don't let them. All of these dresses are custom pieces where they're sending sketches. And the Viola Davis dress, I can totally see it looking incredible as a sketch. Yeah. And then when it got there in real life, it was like, ugh. Yeah. Not as good as the sketch. It's hard to kill it. You know, I have empathy for celebrities and stylists in this arena, for sure. It's really hard to manufacture those really, really brilliant Oscar moments. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what next year's Oscars are going to be like. It's like, is it going to jump up in ratings or is this the new normal? Is just no one going to watch this? Oh, yeah, no, it's going to come roaring back. It's going to be a dazzling affair of musical theater between In the Heights and West Side Story. It's going to be like old school. And hopefully Billy Eichner will be hosting. Hopefully. It really should be him. So this week we lost Albert Albaz, who most famously was the creative director of L'Envin from 2001 to 2015. He also had a brief stint designing ready-to-wear for Yves Saint Laurent in the early, early 2000s, in between Yves the Man and Tom Ford. He recently started a line called AZ Factory, which, let's be real, was a bit of a mixed bag. Tragically, he died of COVID. It's a terrible thing. He was one of the nicest men in fashion in a notoriously cruel industry. Yeah, he he was a real celebrity fashion designer. His persona, his look became iconic. It's really sad. I mean, he, he was a very talented designer, especially when it came to draping. I feel like that's really what he was known for at Long Van. It was all of these sort of asymmetric Grecian style gowns. And then he made all of these, I guess what I could only describe as poofy cocktail dresses. He made all these jewel-toned cocktail dresses that just the fabric was twisted. There was a big poofy sleeve or a giant ruffle. It was weird looking back at some of those collections now because those dresses have been copied so much that now it kind of gives me the heebs to look at them. Right. But in like 10 years, 20 years, they'll look amazing again. He's also had a kind of sad fashion career. You know, he was handpicked by Yves Saint Laurent himself to take over. And then he only did a couple of collections before Gucci Group bought YSL in 1999 and basically kicked him out so that Tom Ford could design. 
Although Tom Ford himself was kicked out of Gucci Group by Henri Pinot, who was Selma Hayek's husband. So, you know, I guess there is some karmic justice in a way. Totally. But he was also ousted from Lon Van in 2015, which I didn't know. That's so rude. You can't put a brand back on the map. And I imagine, like, they did quite well. I mean, people, those dresses were everywhere. They were, but, you know, as we've discussed in past episodes, fashion is so rooted in, like, the accessories vertical that while he created a signature sneaker, there was never an it bag. And so I think that's why the board ousted him, which was incredibly cruel. There wasn't an it bag, but maybe his biggest, I don't want to say legacy, but maybe the I think the biggest trend he started was probably in the arena of jewelry with the crazy ornate costume jewelry that he did at Lama Van, like those fabric covered jumbo pearls that trickled down to J. Crew to everything and everyone was wearing those suddenly. I think people still make them. He was amazingly self-aware. I found this quote when he was giving a speech when he won in 2015 the Fashion Group International Award where he said, we designers, we started as couturiers, then we became creative directors, so we have to create, but mostly direct. And now we have become image makers. Loudness is the new cool, and not only in fashion, you know, I prefer whispering. I was looking at some of AZ collection. Some of it is good and really plays to his strengths as a designer, which is making classically beautiful clothes and cocktail dresses. Like at any given time, there's one really popular designer that brings prettiness back to fashion, that brings the dress back, that designs for women's bodies. Like right now, that person is Pier Paolo from Valentino, but from like 2005 to 2010, that was Al AZ Factory very much has those classic pieces, but they also have sneakers and athleisure and that stuff I hate because I just, it sucks that we live in a world where every designer has to do sneakers, even when it's kind of the antithesis of their brand. Like I went into the Alexander McQueen store recently. God, those sneakers. You mean the like no lace platform sneaker? I don't even know what they were. It was just like such a sad vibe. Again, it's like so not Alexander McQueen. Alexander McQueen is about a heel so tall and ornate that it looks like some sort of torture device. It's not about some nasty Euro trash sneaker. Yeah, and Albert was really rooted in that 1960s couturier idea of what do women want? What makes them look best? I always appreciate designers like that. But in looking back at his work, I really like his old Yves Saint Laurent collections. Those to me are my favorite. I'll put I'll put it in the show notes. The Fall 2000 show is incredible. It's like perfect 70s minimalism. I also remember this brief stint at Yves Saint Laurent because I remember that Chloe Seveny wore that stuff pretty much exclusively during the awards season when she was nominated for Boys Don't Cry. Really, really beautiful. Uh, yes, and that juxtaposition is made even deeper given the new collection that just dropped from Sailoron. Oh, there are a number of brands right now that I lovingly refer to as Dua Lipa only brands, which are <laughs> brands that make clothes that only Dua Lipa could wear. I mean, Dua Lipa and like the models, of course. And this collection, more than any other Saint Laurent collection that I've seen, really exemplifies that Dua Lipa only spirit. 
Basically, this collection was reworking a lot of the pieces that Yves Saint Laurent himself was designing in the 90s. And a lot of this, a lot of these clothes were very ordinate and very conservative. It was a lot of brocades and tweeds and just gold jewelry and, and that sort of stuff. So- and, but then also paired with 2008 era American apparel, like silver bodysuits. This brand keeps trying to make bodysuits happen. And I don't mean like a bodysuit under a skirt or a pair of pants. I mean literally like going out in a pair of sheer black hose and a full-on like swimsuit with jewelry over it. And again, only share in 1977 and Dua Lipa in 2021 can do that. Totally. I mean, I anticipate Miley Cyrus wearing a lot of these clothes. The whole vibe is very Romy and Michelle. Every single look is a fur-trimmed micro mini. Some of it I hate, some of it I like. Again, can't wait to see it on Dua Lipa. But it's the opposite of Albert Elbaz, that's for sure. This is the opposite of timeless and wearable. I almost wish ghosts were real because I would love the ghost of Yves Saint Laurent to be commenting on this. Mm, I mean, I'm for his sake, I'm glad that he can't see it. You know, he had such a stressful life as is. I don't want him to be like stressing in the afterlife. Last week, Gucci launched the Beloved campaign on their social media channels. The ads were set against the backdrop of a late-night talk show hosted by James Corden as he interviewed the likes of Harry Styles, Serena Williams, Diane Keaton, and Dakota Johnson, each with a signature Gucci bag. Too Long didn't read their not-funny fashion films trying to promote Gucci bags. Also, I should mention that this campaign was directed by Harmony Corrine, which was really strange because stylistically it looked very Wes Anderson. Diane Keaton was in a full Wes Anderson outfit. Which only reminded us of the fact that Diane Keaton has never been in a Wes Anderson film. Which seems crazy. These ads are a lot for what it is. Okay, so I watched all of them. Look, the print campaign is cute because you don't have to invest your time watching these videos. But anyway, sorry, I cut you off. No, no, no. These very awkward, not funny interviews. But here's the thing. There are two different talk show sets. One that is meant to mimic... I did notice that. But one that is meant to mimic Johnny Carson's late night set from the mid-70s. And then the other is based on David Letterman's set from the mid-90s. The Venn diagram of people that fuck with Gucci and would notice this, I think I'm the only one in the center of it. <laughs> Which yeah, is Well, no one's... You're not supposed to notice it. It's just supposed to, like, seem familiar. But the reason that I noticed it is it's very purposeful. And Gucci has such beautiful homewares that it that set could have been set dressed with. I thought the production design was great. I feel like the concept to me was cute, but it just, I didn't actually want to watch these videos. Nobody wants fashion films. We want fashionable films, but films made of fashion are kind of worthless. Well, it was attempting to be a comedy short, which I think is a great avenue, but it wasn't funny enough to work as a standalone comedy short. Harry. James. Harry. You can't. Harry. You can't. Harry. You couldn't. You can't. I can't. You won't. He won. He wouldn't. But truly, if you had just had Serena Williams, Harry Styles, Dakota Johnson doing a what's in my Gucci bag, people would click on that shit so fast. Yeah. And it was hard for us to put into words kind of what was missing about that or why it didn't quite work until we saw Telfar Clemens on Wendy Williams the other day debuting the new Telfar drop. Right. So this was fun to me because it's the same concept, but a drastically different 
execution. execution. Yeah. Which is going on an actual talk show. Yeah, I thought it was really, really cute. So Telfar was in studio with Wendy, who clearly did not know what was going on. This was obviously pitched by a producer, and she was like, uh, okay. Well, she's worn Telfar on the Wendy Williams show before, so it's like she knows what it is. But yes, I, I guarantee that they pitched this to Wendy and not the other way around. So he was in studio describing outfits that they were showing on a screen that was obviously shot just outside of Wendy's studio on the street yeah Wendy did seem like she was kind of in a bad mood though she was kind of like a little bit of a hater there was something about when so he gave her a bag and he referenced something about the tags and she just didn't get it she kind of like shaded him at the top of the show being like it's like you came out of nowhere no I've been here for like forever no 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 you know what I'm saying to be fair up until a couple years ago you'd have to be a fashion insider to some degree to know who Telfar is but it is funny that he's perceived as an overnight success even though he's been designing collections for over a decade now i think what we loved about this vis-a-vis the gucci beloved campaign is telfar is our age so like us he probably grew up watching daytime television and saw all those morning fashion show segments yeah and there's something so subversive and genius about time magazine's most influential person debuting new spring looks on wendy williams totally if that Gucci beloved campaign was a send up, <laughs> was a Wendy Williams. Um, no, if that it, would be genius, though. If that had actually been like a send up to those Real Housewives reunions, and like Alessandro Michele is the Andy Cohen, and Diane Keene is beating Dakota Johnson with her Jackie bag, that would be amazing. That would be cute. I did like that Gucci brought in my second favorite WW brand ambassador, <laughs> James Corden. We don't need more Dakota Johnson, Florence Welch. Who else is in the cult? Um, Jared Leto. Harry Styles. I guess I'll be bleeping his name. (laughs) If there is not a Gucci campaign related to the House of Gucci film, if I don't get Adam Driver reluctantly in a Gucci campaign, I will riot, Chelsea. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. They really do need to make Adam Driver the face of like a men's fragrance. (laughs) That would be great. (sighs) I want it so badly. All right. Shall we move on to... Kardashian? Kardashianaholics Anonymous. This is a case for the FBI. <laughs> so we have big news this week, guys. Caitlyn Jenner is, is running for the governor of California in a recall election against the current governor, Gavin Newsom, a.k.a. ex-husband of... Kimberly Guilfoyle. And second cousin of Joanna Newsom. I would like to point out that Caitlin has no platform. When you go to her website, you can either donate or buy merch. I did do one of those things. (laughs) Yeah, our friends are not thrilled about this. Would you like to say what you did? Well, whatever. I just bought one Caitlin for California coffee mug. (laughs) Because it's part of your collection. I collect kitschy coffee mugs, and I already have major regrets about not buying official Marion Williamson merch when I had the chance, so I wasn't going to let this opportunity pass me by. Is now a good time to talk about how you gave me Caitlin's autobiography for my birthday once, and then you did a, a handwritten inscription as if you were Caitlin? That wasn't me. That was Caitlin. I waited in line in a Barnes & Noble for like 10 hours to give you this this beautiful book. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, so Caitlin wrote me... Dear Lauren, 
I do hope that you enjoy my memoir, The Secrets of My Life, which chronicles my problematic journey from an awkward TV dad to a hashtag flawless trans Republican activist. Also, this is in all caps, I blame Chris for everything, XOXO Kate. Wasn't that nice of her? For those who think that it's not possible for Caitlyn Jenner to become governor of California, um, this is eerily similar to what happened 20 years ago when our former governor, Gray Davis, was recalled and you had everyone from the porn star Mary Carey to, I believe, Gary Coleman and a, a, a small action star named Arnold Schwarzenegger running for governor. And Arnold Schwarzenegger won. You know why he won? Because people like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold Schwarzenegger's a movie star. Everyone hates Caitlyn Jenner. I know I, I got into this on a, on a previous podcast. Liberals dislike her politics, despite the fact that she is quite tragically the most visible trans person in the world. And conservatives don't like her, you know, because she is trans. So I don't understand who's going to vote for this woman. She's not particularly charismatic. She's famous because she's an iconic athlete. And she inadvertently... Hey, Chelsea, you're not going to vote for me? <laughs> Just stop. Your Caitlyn Jenner impression is actually pretty good. It's a little bit Holly Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like Caitlyn Jenner became famous on the Kardashians because she was so charismatic. It was more like she was a counterpoint to the rest of her family, which is charismatic for the most part, or at least Chris and Chloe and Kim. So there's no official date for this recall. It'll probably happen in the fall if it happens at all. So we got a summer of Caitlin doing stump speeches in Malibu. Oh my God, we should go. We have to go. <laughs> we actually have to go. If she does, we have to go. No one will be there. We'll get front row seats. I guess we haven't overtly mentioned, but Caitlin is very Trumpy. She's apparently surrounded herself with a lot of Trump advisors. But like, I'm sorry, I just can't imagine the Proud Boys storming the Capitol for Caitlyn Jenner. It's not happening. Yeah, I really haven't seen a reaction amongst the Candace Owens and Ben Shapiro's because this is their worst nightmare, which is, you know, they're excited for the idea of a Republican overthrowing a, a Democratic governor in a mostly blue, uh, in an overwhelmingly blue state. But then that hero is Caitlyn. Also, I mean, despite the fact that I did buy a mug, the branding could have been better. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> like she did not hire, she did not hire Pentagram for this, uh, for this branding. She got the same person who uh, did the brand identity for Lumisol, I'm guessing. To those of you who may not know what the fuck I'm talking about, I'm referring to her gal pal, Sophia Hutchins, iconic sunscreen company. All right, moving on to Chloe. It appears Tristan has cheated on her once again. So an Instagram model named Sydney Chase revealed on a YouTube podcast called No Jumper that she had relations with Tristan Thompson late last year. The reveal seems to be accidental as she was there with a group of girls better known as the Blackout Girls who seem to be the actual guests on the podcast. So at one point, one of the girls turns to Sydney asking her, how was Tristan's dick? To which the model replies, it was a peekaboo dick, but baby, it was good. Then states that- So his dick is uncut, is what we've learned. <laughs> it's funny, that's the next thing that someone asks her, and then she starts laughing. So what she says is that at, when they started talking, she asked if he was single. He said yes, they, put this in quotes, hung out, and then she found out that he was still with Chloe, and then she cut him off. She then went on TikTok- <laughs> to say that she regrets divulging 
personal details about this interaction. However, it's all true. I mean, she seems a little hungry for attention. But that said, I have no doubt that Tristan fucked her. This situation reminds me of that Maya Angelou quote that Oprah often references, which is, when people show you who they are, believe them the first time. Tristan has repeatedly shown himself to be untrustworthy, to be a liar, to be a cheater. She should have believed him the first time. And I get it. It can seem better to be with an imperfect person than being alone, but not this one. Well, also it's sad because her whole plot line on this season of the Kardashians has been like, I don't care what people think about me being back with Tristan. We've worked through our stuff. Well, everything- We're having another kid, potentially. Well, everything in real time having to do with Chloe's storyline is sort of unraveled between the unedited photo of herself, the Tristan storyline. This is what's crazy is, at least in the beginning, the Tristan storyline is, oh, I'm only using him as a sperm donor. Here's what I don't quite understand. She has money. She has great friends and family. And she's got the kid. I don't understand why she just didn't do the Madonna thing. And is like, great, you're the baby daddy. I got the kid now. We're good. She needs to not date basketball players. She needs to date just like a nice CAA agent or something. I think that's an oxymoron, but yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Like someone someone in the biz, but that's not a celebrity themselves. You'd have to understand the biz to date them. Hence, Corey Gamble. Yeah, there has to be someone in Scooter Braun's management firm that would be a good boyfriend for Chloe. Tristan's cheating goes so far back because didn't he leave his pregnant oh, girlfriend for Chloe to begin with? Yes, True's half sibling is only six months older than her, I believe. Yikes. I just, we feel so much for Chloe and she internalizes so much and she gets so much shit, obviously, but it's like, we want the best for her. Yeah. We're not, I only want the best for her. We're not laughing at her, but it's just like, no. stop. No. I hate this guy. And I hate that on the Kardashians, this season has basically been the Tristan like apology tour. Let's humanize Tristan. Let's bring him back into the fold. It's like, no, get him out. He's toxic. Yeah, we better not see him on that fucking Hulu series. Also, no one has disputed this. It's not like Tristan has come out and said, I don't know who this chick is. It's not true. I'm circumcised, actually. <laughs> Pulls his dick out for Chris. He's like, you gotta believe me, Chris. Anyway, Chloe. We you can fuck right off. Yeah. Bye. Bye. <laughs> I guess in less depressing news, Courtney and Travis's horny couple PDA tour continues. Yeah, was it her? She posted a photo of 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 him holding her and them making out on a rock somewhere in a fancy resort, which just leads us to wonder who's taking that photo of them. It's not a selfie. I know. Did they get Mason to take that yeah. photo? Yeah. I feel like Chloe can learn something from Courtney's relationship with Travis, which is leave the fuck boy. You got the kids. Leave the fuck boy. It might take a few years, but you will find someone that you can proudly stick your tongue down and post photos on Instagram with. Yeah, there's other members of Blink-182. Tom DeLonge? Yeah. Well, congrats, Courtney and Travis. We're rooting for you guys. Yeah, what is next for We're them? not rooting for you, Caitlin, and we're not rooting for you, Tristan. So just know that. Oh, I like this. All right, well, thank you guys, as always, for listening. This is our 10th episode. Can you believe it? Woohoo! We really appreciate all of the DMs and all of the reviews and all of that stuff. So thank you guys. Love you. And we'll see you next week. Bye.
Bye.